Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Mick Stringer at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Let me tell you a story, since we have children in with us. Actually, I'm going to tell you two stories. The first story is about my grandfather. Kids, have you got grandfathers? Yes? Do you know your grandfather? Let me, let me tell you a moment, a story about my grandfather. This is my mum's dad. His name was John Canis O'Brien. He was of Irish descent and he had a temperament to match. But he had 21 grandchildren and though all, every single one of those grandchildren loved him to bits. They loved him because he told us stories. Some of those stories were exaggerations. Some of those stories were just concoctions made up on the spot. Some of those stories made absolutely no sense at all. But that's not the point of his story. His point of his story was to have his grandchildren around him as he told the story. I remember him telling me stories about the man who rode the shark up Tubby Gully and the man who went four, three rounds with a rattlesnake. I don't think that actually happened. But it was a great story. But there were other stories that he told us as well, stories that had deep moral truths to them. And some of those stories I remember to this day. And in fact, uh, when he passed and uh, we attended his funeral, the whole of those 21 grandchildren were present. And we walked in front of a horse-drawn cart with his coffin from the small church where the service was held to the cemetery and we were on highway one for about five or six hundred meters or so and the police provided us an escort to do that all 21 of his grandchildren walked before that horse and cart as we went to the cemetery they are good memories but by the grace of God and with your permission I intend to keep this sermon short this morning because what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you another story it's not my story it's a story lifted from the pages of scripture. It's a story that has been written for us by a man called Luke. Now Luke was a friend and a travelling companion with the Apostle Paul. Luke was also a physician from Macedonia. And Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write two of the books that are included in the New Testament. He wrote the third gospel, the gospel that bears his name, the gospel according to Luke. And he also wrote the fifth book, the book that has been called Acts. So what we're considering this morning is a passage of scripture that comes from Acts chapter 12. So if you have your Bible with you, an old school version like I've got, one of these that's got paper in it and pages that you turn over, um, feel free, open up to Acts chapter 12. If you've got one of the newer versions, one that operates with electronics, then I'm sure that you'll get there much faster. However, just before we hear from those passages, it'd be good to be reminded of a few things about, about this particular book that we're reading from. You see, in the story that we're going to read, the Apostle Peter is uh, imprisoned and placed there by a man called Herod. But before we get there, we need to know where this story fits in the bigger picture, because that'll help us understand. You see, 
As we've gone through this preaching series, all of the other speakers have made reference at some point or other to the fact that this book that we're reading from is is a book called Acts. It might also be called the Acts of the Apostles and it might also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Each of those descriptions is true and it's an important observation about the point of origin of the book and the value of the book to us. But I need to make one further point here. And that is that those biblical scholars who have paid close attention to this book over the years of the life of the Christian church, many of them have recognised that the book of Acts falls fairly neatly into two halves. The first half deals primarily with the Acts of Peter. The second half deals primarily or almost exclusively with the Acts of Paul. Of course, in the first half, there are a couple of passages where we get introduced to a man called Saul, who will suffer a name change and become Paul. What we need to recognise before we read our text this morning, though, is that this passage that we're going to read from comes from the point right at the very end of the section that's dealing with Peter. It's one of the last things that's done by Peter. In fact, after this story... Peter's name is only mentioned once more time in the whole of the book of Acts and that's a very short reference to him when Peter stands up at the Jerusalem council to talk about how the Christian faith interfaces with the Jewish faith. So it's important to know that. Adrian's going to read for us the first of our passages this morning. This is Acts chapter 12. The first five verses. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for a public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison... The church prayed very earnestly for him. Our sermon this morning is based around uh, verse 5, that Peter had been placed into prison and whilst he was in prison, the church was earnestly praying for him. And the message this morning falls fairly neatly into three particular parts. The first is the need. You see, after the day of Pentecost, when the church is formed... There was a brief period of calm where the new believers continued to meet in the temple precincts, that is, in the grounds of the temple in Jerusalem. But it soon became really clear that what the followers of Jesus were talking about and practicing was a very different form of faith to that that the Jews had known beforehand. Now, this led to the rise of tensions between the two groups. And it spilled over into the stoning of Stephen. Stephen, Stephen, when he's put to death by stoning, that's the point that marks the beginning of the persecution of Christians. That persecution, of course, continues. And inevitably, it led to the scattering of the Christians out of the centre of the city of Jerusalem into Judea, then into Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth itself. 
Now, King Herod, the character that we've already heard from, from Adrian, was he was popular amongst the Jewish religious leaders. He had their approval. And he was one of those in authority who began to persecute believers. We find that in, in verse 2. Those of you who have still got your Bibles open, just run your, run your finger down through the text because all I'm going to be doing is working my way through the text, retelling the story. You see, Herod had James put to death by the sword. Now, some commentators suggest that the persecution of Christians may have started just as a series of random acts of violence. However, that's not the case here in the passage that we're reading about today. Herod quite deliberately raises the stakes in this game of persecution. And he does that by shifting attention from believers to the leaders of the believers. Herod starts the process of persecuting the apostles. Now, James, who was put to death by the sword, is the son of Zebedee, the brother to the apostle John. And James is the first of the apostles to be martyred. James's death, then, is in fulfilment of Jesus' promise that James and John... Do you remember James and John asked Jesus for special favour? that they were to sit at either, of, either side of him. Jesus made them a promise at that point. And that promise was that James and John would drink from his cup and share in his baptism. James sees the fulfilment of that. Verse 3. Um, when when uh, Herod saw that this action of putting James to death was met with the approval of the Jews, he, he seized Peter also and placed Peter in prison. Herod's plan to persecute believers through direct action against the leaders of the small church meant that God's people began to suffer distress. Their leaders were imprisoned and their very lives of the leaders and the very lives of the believers themselves were being placed under threat. That meant that the whole church was under threat. So what Herod did was he placed Peter in jail. But Herod's a smart dude. He didn't make the mistake of underestimating the significance of what he'd done. You see, he realised that this was important. So he sent 16 soldiers to make sure that this man Peter, who he was placing in prison, was going to stay in prison. Those 16 soldiers were divided up into four groups of four. They were on shift work, if you like. Two soldiers from each shift were chained to Peter. He had a chain on each wrist, while the other two stood guard at the prison gates. And as we come to verse 5, we find that this is the key verse for us this morning. It describes the situation Peter was kept in prison and while Peter was in prison, the church was earnestly praying for him. Now I said earlier that it's important to know where this passage occurs in the books of, book of Acts as a whole and it's important because the church of the day was thinking like this, Peter is our leader, he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's now in prison. 
That's significant for the church. It's a test for the church, if you like. And if we read our way through to the end of the book of Acts, what we find is exactly the same thing happens to Paul. Paul finds, and when you get to the end of the book of Acts, that he too has lost a great deal of his freedom of movement. And of course, we know that Paul was martyred for his faith. You see, Herod has imprisoned a significant leader of the early church and he intended to hold a public trial for that leader after the Passover. The moment of need, if you like, is upon the church. So the believers responded and they come together to pray to the Lord on Peter's behalf. And they did that with great fervour and earnestness. They offered their petitions to the Lord on Peter's behalf. Now, unfortunately for Herod, this is the point at which he made a mistake. Herod proposed to hold a public trial after the Passover. Do you remember what happens in the Passover? At the Passover, God delivers his people. So can you feel the tension that's starting to build in the text? We're all hanging on the edge of our seat. We're all waiting to know what's going to happen next. And Adrian's going to read the next part of our text to us. Thanks, Adrian. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Thank you, Adrian. This leads us to our second point. The church was in need, and here we find the Lord's answer to that need. You see, on at least six separate occasions, Jesus encouraged his disciples to pray for their needs when he told them that if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That's in Matthew and in Mark. When we come over into John's gospel, though, what we find is that Jesus' language is much more personal. There he says, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Have you got that? My father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So how did the Lord answer the prayers of the believers that were offered on Peter's behalf? He did it in two ways. He intervened in Peter's situation and he delivered Peter from that situation. This is how it happened. You see, this text that Adrian's just read starts off with the night before. The night before gives us a really good clue because this is an unmistakable echo of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, right at this very point. At that time... Moses gave instructions to the Israelites that they should prepare for their departure 
from Egypt. This is one of the things that he said to them. He said, When you enter the law, the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this Passover ceremony. And when your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? Then you are to tell them, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. You see, the Lord heard the earnest prayers of the believers and he answered those prayers. Luke tells us in the passage that we've just read that Peter was asleep between two of the guards. The prison cell was suddenly set ablaze with light as an angel of the Lord appeared and the angel said this to Peter. He said, wake up. Peter needs to wake up because the time for slumber has passed. You need to wake up. And he also said, quick, get up. You see, the time for rest is over. You need to move now. Not later, now. And so Peter responded. And as he responded, the chains fell away from his wrists. But the Lord's not done with Peter yet. The Lord, through his angel, is directly involved in not only intervening in Peter's situation, but also in delivering Peter from that situation. And he did it like this. The angel said to Peter again, Get dressed. You see, you're going to need your clothes and your sandals and your cloak. You need to be prepared. And the angel said to Peter, follow me. The time for resting is over. You need to leave this place and you need to leave it now. Peter responded by following the angel out of the prison. As the angel of the Lord led Peter out of the prison, past the first and the second guards and up to the gate that led into the city. As they approach this gate, the gate miraculously opens and allows the angel and Peter to walk from the prison into the city. Now, after they've walked a short distance, Peter suddenly finds that he's alone. The angel is no longer with him. But Peter is not alone because Peter has been delivered by the Lord back into the safety of the fellowship of the believers. He has been safely delivered from Herod's control. And at this point, Adrian's going to stand and read us the next section. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided, it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. 
And then he went to another place. You can see that this passage falls fairly neatly into three sections. The first is the need of the church. You see, the church was in great distress because Peter had been placed into prison. So they met and they prayed earnestly for Peter. The next section was the answer. The Lord answered those prayers and he did that by his intervention into the situation and his deliverance of Peter from the situation. In this third section of the text, what we do is we find the response. And the response there is that Peter is amazed and the church rejoices. You see, although Peter is the central character in this story, his part is entirely passive up until this point. He has been arrested and imprisoned by Herod. He's been locked into a cell by soldiers. He's had his wrists chained to other soldiers by soldiers. He's been woken from sleep by an angel of the Lord. He has been instructed by that angel of the Lord to get up, to get dressed and to follow the lead of the angel. You see, not only has Peter been awoken by the sudden appearance of the angel, he has been, he had watched while the chains fell away from his wrist. He has walked past two centuries and a gate has miraculously opened all by itself. The only thing that Peter has done is moved in obedience, which follows the pattern of the church. The church has acted in obedience when they gathered together and met and prayed earnestly for Peter. When the Lord moves in the situation, Peter acts in obedience to what the angel is telling him. So in this story that we're reading, it's no wonder that it takes some time for Peter to gather his wits about him. But when he does, he knows that his deliverance from Herod's clutches was the Lord's doing. There's no doubt about that in Peter's mind whatsoever. Indeed, his very first words are, I know without a doubt that the Lord has done this. Now, if we think that Peter was confused by this situation, spare a thought for the servant girl, Rhoda. Peter arrives at Mary's house and is knocking on the door for admission. The servant girl comes to the door to find out who it is, immediately recognises Peter's voice, and in her joy, she turns and goes back to the group and forgets to open the door. The church too is very confused. The believers who had gathered in Mary's house, these are the same ones who have been earnestly praying for Peter, had much difficulty comprehending what Rhoda was trying to tell them. You see, Rhoda was insisting that Peter was at the door. So what was happening? What's going on here in this situation? It's not too long, however, before they realise that the earnestness of their prayers had been heard and had been answered by the Lord. Peter, by this time, has actually regained his sense of authority and his persistence. He keeps on knocking. Eventually, someone's going to come. He keeps knocking on the door, convinced that sooner or later, the believers would come to investigate who it is that's making all the noise at their door. 
Imagine their shock when they opened that door and saw Peter standing on the doorstep. You see, the church had prayed when they were in need and the Lord had answered their prayers by delivering Peter from the schemes of Herod and from others and now it was time for the church to rejoice. The Lord had delivered Peter and the church responds by rejoicing. Indeed, it's time for the whole church to rejoice, not just the believers who meet at Mary's house because Peter gave them explicit instructions to tell James and the other brothers and sisters. Now, James is the leader of the Jerusalem church. Clearly, James was not present. So Peter's wanting James to know that he has been delivered from prison. But he's also wanting the other brothers and sisters also to know about that. What he's actually saying is, tell the whole church. Don't just keep it to yourselves. Tell the whole church. So how should we tell the whole church? How does this passage apply to Mount Pleasant Baptist Church? How does it apply to this group of believers who are meeting here this morning in our current situation? Simply exhorting people to pray longer and harder, louder or quieter by standing, sitting or even lying flat on the floor with your eyes open or with your eyes closed won't work. And it won't work because the emphasis is all wrong. It's not the how of prayer that is important, it's the why of prayer. We are to pray not according to a formula, not according to some sort of magic position, it's the why we pray that's important. We pray because Jesus has told us that our prayers are heard and he's told us that those prayers prayed in faith in his name will be answered. That's why we pray. Therefore, as we pray, we need only focus upon having our hearts turned toward the Lord. Why? Because we belong to him. As we pray, we need only focus upon having our ears tuned to hear the Lord. We need to be waiting for his answer. And with the whole of our being when we pray, we need to be ready to wake up, to get up, to get dressed, to put on our sandals and our cloak because we need to be ready to follow the Lord wherever he leads us. Amen. As the music team comes back to the platform, we're going to finish in a different way. We're going to finish in silence. And this will be difficult for people who live in the modern world, where our world is full of noise. But what better way to finish a sermon about the power of earnest prayer than to sit quietly and pray? And there's one word up there on the screen which sums it up beautifully, I think. This word is selah. It's a, ter- it's a Hebrew term that's found often in the book of Psalms. The word, uh, it's often debated about what it actually means. Uh, I think it means something like this. Pause and reflect on what has just gone before. Pause and reflect on what's been said. So as we pause and reflect, it's going to be good for us to remember that verse 5 where we read that Peter was kept in prison 
but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, I work with a couple of men in our office out there who are great men of God. They both share the same name as me, first given name, and uh, their identities shall remain secret, but they share an office and they might be known as M&M. Both of them have a heart for apologetics. And when I found, was looking for a way to finish this message, I found an expanded and an amplified and an updated and revised version of verse 5 that speaks about our situation today. And, that's it, and that verse reads like this. So the world tried to keep the Lord locked up within carefully controlled stained glass sanctuaries. And the world tried to keep the good news of Jesus Christ locked out of the public square. But the church, even this church, along with all of the saints, was earnestly praying to God for a release of power to proclaim the truth in a world that has been deceived and captivated by lies. That would be a good point to pray, wouldn't it? Let's pray quietly within the quietness of your own heart and give our attention to the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.